Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin, lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Hello and welcome everyone to a brand new season of Ligue 1 Uber Eats Football. It all kicks off this weekend, starting with Nice versus Lille on Friday night. And that makes this the perfect time to assess what we can expect from the impending campaign. Can PSG do it again and claim a record 12th Ligue 1 Uber Eats title? Can the likes of Marseille, Lens and Rennes push them even further than last season and create the upset? And who will emerge? as this season's revelation, team, coach or player. Well, it seems just in the blink of an eye, despite the slow-motion drama of the Kylian Mbappe contract saga and the impact of Lionel Messi's departure, and of course the Women's World Cup down under, but we are back in the saddle, and in today's episode we'll be running the rule over all 18 Ligue 1 sides. That's right, 18 this year, including the defending champions Paris Saint-Germain, France's European representatives, and of course, promotees, Loire and FC Metz, who will be doing battle for French football's top prize in the 2023-24 season. We'll be going over the club's big news, players to watch, while making some doubtless foolish predictions, and also bringing back the fan favourite quiz, Deja Who, where listeners answer brutally trivial questions to go into the running for a Ligue 1 jersey. And we'll also have a sneak peek at our brand new French football history segment, Ligue 1 Legends, with Andreas Evagora. He won't be the only one in the new segment format this season, though. We're going to have player profiles, interviews, tactical analysis of all the big matches, and we'll bring you stories from behind the scenes in the League of Talents. You can find us on all your regular podcast platforms. Just look for Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast, and subscribe so you get it fresh each time it drops. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and share it around. Don't be the jealous type. Well, it looks like it's going to be an exciting season coming up, and so to help me break it all down with Cervantish Acumen, I'm joined by Ligue 1 Uber Eats Rainmen, Andy Scott, Jonathan Johnson, and Baptiste Renault. Gentlemen, one after the other, how are you all doing? We're all great. Am I, am I staying? <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> Speak for myself. Looking forward to the new season, yeah. <laughs> JJ, I hear you've had a, a busy summer. Yeah, doing very well, thank you. I, uh, I think that was a, a war of attrition as to who was to be most gentlemanly there. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy summer so far. Um, you know, as we know, some contracts uh, are made to be signed and honoured. Uh, we'll get more on that later when we talk about Kylian Mbappe. But yep, tied the knot myself. So uh, yeah, big developments uh, over here in uh, in Paris. Long term contract for Jonathan Johnson in France. Andy, you too have been busy, and you're. Uh... Heading down on the other side of the planet, just like me, to uh, have a visit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's funny hearing hearing Gigi say that because um, I, uh, I I got married a few years ago, but I previously previously was paxed with my now wife. Now, pax is a thing that exists in France. I suppose it's like a civil partnership, right? And I always remember um, it, we only had this for like two years before we got married. I always remember the the solicitor who 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 did it for us, saying this is a, a très bon contrat. It's a very good contract. 
So I think uh, Mr. Mbappe could could learn a thing or two from that. But yes, I'm in I'm in New Zealand, Robbie, and I'll, I'll soon be in in Australia with you. And and then after that, I'll be returning to France for the league out season. Fantastic! Very lucky man, Andy Scott, living living the life down under at the moment for the FIFA well, Women's that, World Cup. Winter, of course. <laughs> <laughs> It is winter, and in New Zealand, winter is still winter. Unlike, as you will soon discover when you come to Australia, Andy, because winter, as we've just heard from poor old Baptiste in London, winter in Sydney is actually a little bit better than summer in London, it would appear. Anyway, without any further ado, let's get cracking because we've got a huge show to get through. We're going to start by previewing every single side in the top flight, and Andy... We've just heard from you, but you're up first because you've got the big one. Tell us what we can expect from the never far from controversy, (laughs) never far from drama, Paris Saint-Germain. Some things just never change. I mean, where do you want me to start, really? I think it's um, it's been one of those summers, hasn't it, in in Paris or in, in Japan and South Korea where they've been the majority uh, of the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, listen, it, it's, it's, I hesitate to call them a mess because I think um, they think there is some method in, in, in the madness. Obviously, they have a new coach, Luis Enrique, um, who best remembered for his time at Barcelona, latterly in charge of Spain, has now come in to replace Christophe Galtier. They have a, a raft of new signings, um, but they have a, a problem with a certain Kylian Mbappe. And the question is... What's going to happen with him? Now, obviously, he's still a PSG player um, today in, in, the, in the days leading up to the beginning of the season. But, you know, uh, let's see if he's still there on the, on the 2nd of September when the transfer window shuts. And in the meantime, it's very hard to say exactly what we can expect from PSG. We can all guess what we think might happen with Mbappe. Um, but the reality is that we don't know. There are two or three different possibilities right now. And, and I think, you know, anything is possible. So in the meantime, we, we can only assess PSG on the basis of what has happened, which is a new coach has come in. He's trying to Im- impose um, his authority, his way of playing on the team. It's going to be a new look. There is no Lionel Messi. There is no Sergio Ramos. There is a, a, a collection of real top-level players who've come in, the likes of Luca Hernandez, Milan Skriniar in the defence, um, Manuel Ugarte, they spent a lot of money on in the midfield, Lee Kang in and Marco Asensio up front. Uh, that's not all of them, but obviously this is going to be a new look PSG. There are lots of questions about perhaps where the goals are going to come from if Mbappe is not there. Um, just so many unknowns about this PSG team. Obviously, they start the season as favourites to win the league again. Obviously, there are question marks about what kind of team they'll be in the Champions League. But it's just a soap opera that just um, just rolls and rolls from, from week to week, from day to day. And it's, in many ways, the gift that keeps on giving. Andy, if for a journalist, I guess, and for a league on fan, I guess you could call it the gift that keeps on giving, not for perhaps for the Paris Saint-Germain supporters, <laughs> as we saw in the back end of last season, who decided that they'd had enough of these gifts. And uh, I, I, JJ, I'll come to you next, because it's an interesting one. This whole, this whole four years ago, three years ago, when, when Killian re-signed, two years ago, the, the last time, and this was, we're building the whole project around Killian. He's taking the lead in this. Now, two seasons later, saying, we're going to keep you. If we can't sell you now, we're going to keep you and you're not going to play. I mean, they did this with Hatem Ben Arfa. They did this with Adrian Rabio. 
But Kylian Mbappe is arguably the best player in the world. Can can the club do that? And and is this just cutting off your nose to spite your face? I mean, we said that at the time with Adrian Rabiot. Um, but this is taking this whole thing next level. And it might not be finished here. There's talk of Marco Verratti to Saudi Arabia as well. I mean, Luis Enrique, is he already wondering what he's got himself in for here? Well, if you believe the reports, uh, he is already uh, questioning exactly what he's doing uh, as PSG head coach. Uh, it was quite interesting to see that during that tour of Japan and South Korea, because obviously that South Korean date was tacked on to the end of it once Lee Kang-in had been signed, uh, that there was... Um, reports which were swiftly denied by PSG that Luis Enrique was uh, already wondering you know exactly what what he'd committed himself to for for the next couple of years of his career but i mean i think realistically this entire summer and and everything being up in the air with Mbappe Really, it's a product of PSG's desperation to keep Kylian Mbappe uh, at the end of not last season, but the season before that, because as soon as uh, it became obvious that Kylian Mbappe might agitate for a move away, uh, you know, you saw just how weak and, and how powerless the, the PSG position was because they basically had to say yes to every single one of Kylian Mbappe's demands and in doing so, offered him the opportunity to opt in for that crucial final year of the contract. Whenever you put the the power in a player's hands, uh, you know, they they always have the potential to, you know, to, to, to go against the club's wishes. So, you know, I think PSG were very naive if they, if they thought that Kylian Mbappe was going to opt in and, and extend uh, with that final year of the contract. The thing that I would say now is that is the most is most interesting though is obviously at this moment in time we're a week down in August we've got three weeks of the transfer window left to go. The expectation right now at this moment in time is that Kylian Mbappe moves on, but if you look at the moves that PSG have made already and are trying to make, there is the expectation that they will uh, reinforce in the attack. Names like Gonzalo Ramos, Usman Dembele linked with the club. You know, suddenly if PSG were to bring those kind of players in and potentially look to try and move out a Neymar, maybe a Verratti. I mean, even Marquinhos has been linked with a move to Saudi Arabia. Suddenly that squad is a lot more in line with what PSG and Mbappe were discussing, which convinced him to extend his contract uh, than it was at the beginning of this summer. Now, you know, obviously a lot can change in the in the coming three weeks. And I'm not saying that I think, you know, Kylian Mbappe and PSG's position will change because it seems like there's been a lot of damage done in that relationship over the last couple of weeks and months. But equally, it, you know, it does kind of feel like if, you know, PSG were to succeed in suddenly, uh, you know, accepting some of these offers that have miraculously appeared from Saudi Arabia, they were looking into Neymar, uh, before he was able to prove his form and fitness this preseason, Marco Verratti has rarely featured in preseason up until the final game. Uh, you know, with the speculation that he might move on. You know, with those kind of guys who, you know, let's face it, Kylian Mbappe has called out publicly in the past. Uh, you know, for for their attitude, for their commitment to the PSG project. If they were to move on, PSG would suddenly have a lot of space on that wage bill to accommodate these new arrivals. Uh, obviously, bring a bit of money in in terms of transfer fee as well. But suddenly, the squad is a lot more in line. Uh, you know, with with what was promised to, to Mbappe. So maybe that prompts a, a reevaluation. But at this moment in time, it's also quite difficult to imagine that. So for me, I feel like PSG's problems right now uh, and the mayhem that we've seen this summer was very much something that's self-inflicted. PSG will be the gift that keeps on giving. Can they do it, though? 
back-to-back titles for a for a for a twelfth time in the club's history win that title. Baptiste, to you, we've seen since the Qatari reign, and notwithstanding that first season when Montpellier won it, we saw Monaco win the league and then Lille win the league, where where it was really a big surprise. This season, with the wholesale changes and the drama that we've had during the off-season, is this on paper, at least, the best chance for these clubs now to be licking their chops and saying, this is a wounded gazelle now. This, this Paris Saint-Germain is something that we can try and take. Is, this, is their, their confidence going to be sky-high coming into this season? Yes and no. I mean, I'm quite upbeat about PSG's summer transfer window, in all honesty. And if, if Luis Enrique stays, I think they've built a squad that's finally got competition, healthy competition. Uh, they've they've dov- doubled up doubled up at positions where they needed reinforcement and depth, and they obviously still have a lot of quality. and And if Mbappe doesn't end up staying, then they will have brought some options to the club because they just have to, and and they have the the financial power to do so. So I think it depends on how much stock you put in the in the Mbappe drama and how disruptive this might be uh, in a dressing room, considering he might have lost a few friends along the way. By through his behavior, although I think personally, I think his behavior is just a contractual one. I think he's just been very clear about what he's signed. He's triggered valid contractual rights that he has, that he's negotiated extensively with PSG. And the fact that PSG had very little leverage, as JJ said, and and are terrible negotiators, in particular Nasser Al Khelaifi, it has got nothing to do with Mbappe. I think he's just running his career the way he wants to on his terms. So, you know, there's. But if if you if you take the Mbappe drama away from it, I think they've had a successful summer and they've actually reinforced. Now, having said that, I think rivals have also reinforced. And when I look at Marseille, I look at maybe Rennes, surprisingly, um, and may, and we'll see some other clubs. I think they they are starting to get hungry and to believe a bit more into the ability to see a distracted PSG lose ground in in Ligue 1. Well, it raises an interesting issue about, and this is something I was thinking about with all this Kylian Mbappe drama, and it's not a point that we're going to discuss today because we've got too much to go through. But we're talking about 200 million euro deals for one person here. We're talking about, I mean, these are, like you say, these are contractual negotiations about a whole lot of money. We've moved beyond talking about the career choice of a footballer. When you're talking about 100 million euro sign-on fees, 100 million euros in your pocket for, for earnings for one person, for, for their family. We're talking about huge construction companies signing deals to build shopping malls or, or super highways or airports. I mean, we're in, we're in these sort of figures. And, and that's why these negotiations are so brutal. It's not about we shook hands, we looked each other in the eye, I, I was, you know, I trusted I trusted the coach was going to get the best out of me. That's finished. We're talking big business now. We have moved into a whole new dimension. But as I say, that's for a, a football business podcast that we uh, may add on as a bonus at some point. Let's keep moving. Paris Saint-Germain, just very quickly. Do we still expect Paris Saint-Germain to be champions come the end of the season then? I say yes, but it's going to be very, very close. JJ? Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you, Robbie. Um, I think... It's PSG's to lose, but on paper, it should be a lot closer than we've seen in uh, many years. Well, there, if we said that, you look at how it finished last season on paper, it was still very close. Andy? 
Yeah, I think the, the key thing is what JJ said, that it's, it's theirs to lose. I mean, ultimately, in terms of their budget, they're so far ahead of everybody else that, of course, they should win the league. They have such a margin for error. But it's so hard to tell. This is this is the point, right? It's so hard to tell right now where they're going to be in a month's time. But, you know, I, I still expect them to win the league. But I'm aware that that might sound, might sound stupid in nine months' time. Batis, well, we're all up for these. We're, we're, this is the Angus Tarot Memorial <laughs> really, Prediction Time. So we're what's all. What's the point of predicting anything? You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with everyone. I think it's 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 theirs to lose, and like I said, even if Mbappe leaves, um, they have quality, and if he stays, they have the best player in the world, and he'll still be hungry. All right. Well, let's keep moving then. Lance almost took advantage of a, of a difficult end of season for Paris Saint-Germain last year. The big news is, however, that Seiko Fofana has left for the Middle East, the beating heart of Frank Hassi's side last season. The Ivorian powerhouse, he was lured away by Saudi club Al Nasser. And now Les Saint-Eor uh, set up to face a return to the Champions League as well without their talismanic midfielder. The arrival of Stein Spierings from Toulouse that should do something to cover Fofana's departure, but the club are yet to sign a direct replacement for him, for Openda as well, who's left for Leipzig in the summer. Colombian youngster Oscar Cortez is full of promise, but usually plays out wide or rather than through the middle like Openda. And of course, the big positive for them is they have just announced they've re-signed Kevin Danso in a massive coup for the club because the Austrian international was very much one to look out for. Um, Lance upset many pundits' predictions last season, and they could easily do it again. I think the big question is, under Ligue 1 Coach of the Year, Franck Ez, is how will Champions League affect them? Um, the Stade Bollard is a fantastic place to visit. It's a, a fantastic atmosphere. European football will just be spectacular there, of course. They've got a good record historically, even if it goes back 20 years to a, a couple of great Champions League campaigns as well. But uh, what do we think of this lost side? Is it, is it going to be second season syndrome? Is Champions League going to be too much? Andy, how do you see it? Well, um, I think probably this is, this is a good time to, to, to interject and point out, of course, that this is going to be an 18-team uh, league on this season, not 20 teams. The reason that the, the, the LFP um, pushed the decision to, to reduce the number of teams in the league was twofold. One was so that uh, with what they hope is a bigger broadcast deal to come, there'll be more more money for each club. The other thing that they said, of course, is that they think it will benefit teams playing in Europe because they'll have four or fewer league games to worry about. So in the case of Lens, this could be very significant because because you know there's, there's four games, perhaps four midweeks over the course of the season when they might have been really struggling to field a strong team because of because they're stretched, because of their European commitments. Now they have fewer league games, so that might help them. Broadly speaking, this was always going to be the concern for Lens this season, adding European games into the mix, whatever competition it was going to be. We had faith in the, the recruitment um, department to make the signings they need. I think they probably ideally would not have lost two such important players in the summer. I think they, they were bound to lose one to lose Seco Fofana and Luis Openda. Now, obviously, they, they didn't want to lose Openda, so they, they made sure they got the best fee they could possibly get, you know, close to 50 million euros, we believe, from Leipzig. So that might help them find a replacement. But here we are, the days before the season begins, and they really haven't found a replacement. They've signed Morgan Guilavogui from, from Paris FC in the second division, but is he really going to be able to make that step up? Um, 
again, lots of unknowns. I think they'll still look to strengthen between now and the transfer window closing. Um, maybe if Florian Sotoka can keep scoring from the halfway line like he did against Manchester United in a, in a friendly last weekend, that might help the cause. But I think it's going to be, you know, they have a brilliant manager. They have great players like Kevin Danzo that you mentioned. They've made some interesting signings. Um, but, you know, this is a big step up for them. And I think if, if they can finish the season in the league, sniffing around the European places and not disgrace themselves in the Champions League, you know, compete well, perhaps drop into the Europa League, that would represent a very successful season for them. But it would be, it, it's hard to imagine them um, on the same level as last season. I mean, it was an astonishing performance from them last season. I think I think even their fans would not expect them to, to match that. I just hope that they don't really fall away. But I don't think they will. Yeah, I think building on what uh, Andy said, um, it is going to be a challenge. It always is for French teams who are either competing in Europe for the first time or coming back to Europe after a long time away. There's always going to be uh, an adaptation process. Uh, I'm perhaps not as pessimistic um, about some of Lance's outgoings as, uh, as others are. I actually feel that Openda's purple patch of form towards the end of last season really did Lance a favour because although he was prolific, uh, you know, over sort of the back half of the season, we didn't see that same sort of prolific edge from him over the course of an entire season. Uh, so for, I think for Lance to cash in on Balogun, uh, sorry, to cash in, sorry, on uh, Openda. Uh, at, uh, at at such a price well, was actually quite smart transfer dealing, especially when you consider some of the contract extensions they've handed out recently as well, the likes of Frankowski, Samba, who's now captain, so benefits from, uh, from Fofana's uh, departure. But, uh, you know, I do think it raises the intriguing possibility now of seeing, uh, you know, following Balogun, who, uh, you know, I, I was tripping over myself to, to crowbar into the discussion here, coming back to Ligue 1 because for most of the summer he's been linked with a move away perhaps to Serie A with Inter Milan suddenly you have this possibility uh, where Balogun might be able to come back to, to Ligue 1 try to build on what was a very prolific season with Haas, uh, you know, with this Lance project because, uh, you know, like Andy said, there are big questions at the moment where the goals are coming from, uh, you know, we've seen some of the, the, the transfers, uh, you know, in recent years, not quite work out in attack books. for example, the, the, the Poland international who came in from major league soccer really struggled to find his feet. So, you know, I think there is going to be a lot of, uh, you know, faith in Franquez to, to keep that same solidity, the same unity within the group. Uh, and I don't doubt that that will be present this season. But Champions League going straight into the group stage, it's going to be a phenomenal experience. It's going to be fantastic to watch. That in terms of what it does to domestic form, you'd have to imagine that, you know, it probably does take a bit of a hit. So I think Lance's priority will be to get points on the board very early. But, uh, you know, I do think that if they are able to bring in an established goal scorer, uh, you know, we can feel a bit more upbeat about their chances. Because looking at some of the other additions to the squad, you mentioned Spearings earlier, uh, you know, there is sort of an experienced element. Uh, you know, I also like the the gamble on signing Duff as well, who, who did very well in Switzerland. So I'm not feeling too down on Lons so far, but I do think they need to address that lack of goals and attack. I did try and say Spearings earlier with my best Dutch accent as well, Jonathan, which uh, you just let go completely there by, by going by straight batting that Spearings, Spearings line. Lance are one for the romantics, but we also know that Champions League football can be a poison chalice. Ironically, it's proven that for Marseille, the only French club ever to win the Champions League. Of course, they're up next. Baptiste, what can you tell us about Olympique de Marseille, where it's Another club where there have been plenty of changes. 
plenty of changes and some really ambitious ones. Uh, you know, I think Pablo Longoria deserves a lot of credit. He's also got the manager that he wants, I think. He's a long-term friend in Marcelino, maybe more of a connection than with Sampaoli and, and with Igor Tudor, who drove his team into the ground towards the end of last season. So a lot of upheaval, but I think a lot of ambitious change and a lot of positive one. And I think if, for the first time in quite a while, it's it's a Marseille team that's really gunning for the title and wanting to make a splash in Europe at the same time. That's the feeling I get from their from their summer. And they've they've added some intriguing talent. Obviously we don't know what which Aubameyang will turn up, or whether he'll be more disciplined and become a hero like you know, like Drogba or, or the likes, or whether we'll have this sort of undisciplined striker there. But he's certainly a big goal scorer. And um, the the addition of players like Iliman and Diaye and, and Ismail Assar, they're going to bring a lot of pace, a lot of ex- excitement at the Velodrome. So uh, I think they've had a really, really positive summer. I'm really upbeat about them. I think they are the prime challengers to PSG this season. But, you know, it's Marseille. You just need the season to start relatively poorly and questions to be asked and, and it can all unravel. But it feels that even with three different managers in as many seasons, there's still a sense of calmness coming out of of the ownership and um, and certainly out of Longoria and, and Ribalto who are making the football decisions. Andy, what how do you see Marseille going with all these changes? And just a very quick side note on the on the change in coach and this change in style. We always used to talk about the Tudor Sampaoli citation that you just mentioned there and, and how they reflected the passion of the the terraces at Marseille and the Eric Gerrit style of 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 coaching but uh did you see Jorge Sampaoli's assistant coach just got <laughs> sacked from Flamengo for fighting with one of the players that uh on the bench during a match because he didn't <laughs> want to come on anyway side note Andy back to Olympic de Marseille but that's the to- that's what we thought was the perfect coach for so long for 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 Marseille perhaps a change in in tactics might be good yeah, I, I think that's what I mean. Batty's, you know, sort of giving credit to Pablo Longoria. I, th- I think, I think this is the thing. I think it's really interesting how he, he seems to understand that no coach can come into that environment and and last long. You know, it's, it's better to get a guy to come in and kind of just give it everything for a year, maybe two years, and then move on to the next one and try and change things up. And and just this idea that, you know, he's 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 a real wheeler dealer in the market, always looking to move play. You know, there's talk of Ruslan Malinovsky, who they signed in January, being sold in this window. Um, I think they've made some really, really interesting signings. Um, obviously, Dimitri Payet leaving is is a huge moment for, for Marseille as a club. Um, he's been such, you know, he he is a Marseille legend, but he's not managed to be part of a, a Marseille team that has won anything concrete. I have a, and again, I'm going to say this for for everybody in this podcast, but you know, it's it's very early days. Um, I have a feeling that this this could be the moment for Marseille that they've we've said in the last few years, or oh, this time they can mount a challenge. But when you look at what they've put together on paper. I feel that Obama Young, for example, might just really flourish in, in the environment at the Velodrome, give himself one last big season at the top level. I think, that, I mean, Ismail Assar is a terrific signing. What he was doing playing outside the Premier League in England last year, I've got no idea. Top class player. Um, I, I think they could make it. And when we're talking about teams closing the gap to PSG because PSG are potentially falling away, 
Well, Marseille have to be in a position to catch up. And again, obviously, it, it's a caveat that we've 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 added to Monaco in recent years. They're involved in the Champions League qualifying rounds. Are they going to come through them? You know, there's a possibility. We've seen um, today with the Champions League, um, the qualifying round draw, possible tie against Braga to come, which will not be a gimme if if that ends, if if they can get past Panathinaikos. How these games will affect the start of the league season for them? Might they find themselves playing catch up already in September? But I think on paper it has got everything to be a really, really interesting season in Marseille. I can't wait to see what that new look team is going to do. It looks like a strong starting eleven. JJ, very quickly, you agree? Baptiste, do you agree with that? Are we thinking Marseille could be the strongest challenger for for Paris Saint Germain this season? Uh, absolutely. I think they certainly have it on paper right now. I mean, the other things that I think are probably underrated um, and sort of speak to their advantages. Andy was questioning about whether sort of being involved in the qualification stage of the Champions League might work against them. I actually think it might work in their favour because Marseille, if they can get a couple of positive results on the board and a real feel-good feeling at Stade Velodrome, it might enable them to combat what was their Achilles heel last season. And that wasn't necessarily the team that they were able to put out on the pitch. It was the sort of negative attitude that the players felt at Stade Velodrome, uh, where they unexpectedly dropped, uh, you know, a lot of points. You know, Marseille were essentially a road team last season. I think if they can address um, sort of that stage fright in front of their own fans at Stade Velodrome very early on, suddenly that could make a huge difference. Something else that I think might be underrated as well is Marcelino's knowledge of Luis Enrique. If they do end up being in a title race together, having coached together in Spain. Uh, you know, I think that could be indispensable because I think the thing that I really like about this Marcelino appointment for Marseille is how pragmatic he is and how I mean, we we spoke earlier about how Marseille are going to change style. Uh, you know, I think the fact that he can put teams out and be competitive in a variety of different setups, that could be something that's really underrated, not necessarily just for OM's chances in Europe, but also, uh, you know, sort of if they have a, a tough away game in uh, in Ligue where they have to conserve player strength or they have a couple of players missing. So, uh, you know, I'm feeling very optimistic for them. And I think if I had to pick one of the bits of business that they've done to see Ndai, uh, you know, going to Marseille, obviously spent a year in the youth academy, but to be coming back and joining from Sheffield United, who are now a Premier League side, that's a really exciting move to watch. All right. Next up to round out last season's top four. Jonathan Johnson will stay with you and we'll chat Ren, the Breton club, and uh, who have their own Spanish coach-esque in Pep Genesio. What's going on there? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about this one because I have a good feeling about Ren. I mean, last season, obviously, they suffered massively with the loss of Martin Terrier. So there is uh, a bit of consistency there in the fact that they stuck with Bruno Genesio despite some speculation towards the end of last season. We know that they've lost Leslie Ugochukwu, who... You know, we could maybe expect to see, uh, you know, turn up back in Ligue 1 uh, later on in this transfer window if he's loaned out to Strasbourg, more on them later. Uh, but I'm really cautiously optimistic for Rem because I'm looking at the the transfer business that they've done so far and the signing of Ludovic Blas from uh, Nantes uh, and Enzo Lefebvre from Lorient, you know, a really underrated talent. For me, those are two very exciting moves. I do still think that there is sort of a question mark over their teeth in attack. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can expect sort of Terrier to probably be back at some point in the in the coming months. Fingers crossed he can get back to the same level he was at before. Uh, for me, I, I, I feel 
really optimistic that Ren could sort of upset the Apple cart and, you know, be very close to, to, to being sort of behind Marseille and PSG in the title race as we're looking at it on paper. But it really wouldn't surprise me if they were actually able to sort of sneak into into second place. I I just have this feeling that Ren could be one of the, the teams of the season at the top of the table. Baptiste, where do you see the, the, the Breton Giants? I've been very upbeat about Ren for a number of years. I think the work their academy's done over the last decade or so, combined with sort of smart signing and and a desire and willingness to spend when it matters and to buy French, I think has made them a really interesting club and really progressive one. Um, I echo what uh, JJ says about a bit, I think a bit, just a bit of aggressiveness is maybe what they're lacking. And I think we saw that particularly defensively where they're still a bit light. But I think in terms of midfield and, and interchangeability up top, I think they're one of the best, they have one of the best squads and depth in that department. I mean, Ludovic Blas has just joined. I'm, question marks as to whether he'll automatically start every game because there's just still so much talent there. So I'm very I'm very optimistic for Ren. I think this is a bit of a make or break year for, for Genesio. I think if he doesn't drive the club to a top three with a squad they've uh, put together, I think he'll be out of a job because that team is that squad is maturing and has the talent and question marks will be raised as to whether he's the right man. So all in all, it makes for an exciting season, I think, for Hen, and um, I've got I've got a lot of optimism for them. I can't tell if you're if this is one of your uh, Angus Tarot predictions that Ren are going to finish in the top three, or Pep Genesio is going to be the first sacking of the season. <laughs> we'll have to uh, to to wait and see a couple of months before we get that, I guess. So I said at the start of the program that we're going to have a few changes this year in the podcast. We're a bi-monthly now. We're going to come back uh, every couple of weeks and with some in-depth reporting. And one of those is going to be a little historical segment uh, each and every podcast with Andreas Evagora, our local league on commentator, driving that for us. But we said, Andreas, we know you're keen to get involved right from the offset, but we've got 18 clubs to get through today. So this is a little taster of what we can expect. Coming soon, League and Legends, where we reveal the teams that have changed the course of French football. Some were made up of international superstars, others wildly exceeded expectations. All could call themselves champions of France. We'll lift the lid on the players, coaches and presidents who turned potential into titles. Who left a legacy in Liga and who ended up as a flash in the pan. In episode one, the story of a little-known coach known as the Druid who guided Lons to a shock title in 1998. So let's head back to our team-by-team preview of the Ligue 1 Uber Eats 2023-24 season. And we start with the side that finished fifth last time out and into the minor European Cups. Baptiste, tell us about Lille. It feels like Lille have been a bit in a bit of a holding pattern over the summer. I think they're waiting a little bit for bids to come for their main star man, Jonathan David, up top, who's been one of the top scorers in Liga over the last three seasons and is still only 23. But they've had success in retaining Paolo Fonseca, who had such a positive first season last year and got his team to play really good football and, and develop some youngsters. Um, so they're bringing back really the uh, the spine of the squad last season, replacing 
long-term stalwart uh, Jose Font with Samuel Mtiti, which I think is quite an interesting, an interesting move. And um, and they'll be looking to continue pushing ahead. I think, in my personal view, I think top six would be a success for them. Um, but it might, you know, the image of the team might change quite a bit depending on on when and if Jonathan David David um, leaves. I think Lille are really interesting because they've kept hold of Paulo Fonseca, who I thought was great last season. I think they play great football. Um, but, you know, I think there's so much competition that it's, it's again, it's going to be hard for them combining European football with their, with their domestic performances. Have they added enough depth? I think keeping Fonseca is, is a big thing because I, I, th- I said this a lot at the end of last season. I really think that he is a, a real top-level European coach. Um, and I think it's great for Ligue 1 that they've, They've kept him so far. Um, let's see how long that lasts. But um, looking forward to seeing Lille this season. I think they'll be up more or less up, up towards the top of the table, without doubt. Andy, we'll stick with you. Tell us about Olympic Lyonnais because Laurent Blanc is still at the helm. Are we going to see um, a Laurent Blanc impose his style the way he did at Paris Saint-Germain or a Laurent Blanc that headed off to Qatar and, and struggled really to, to do anything there? I'm just going to get my little little Women's World Cup notebook, which FIFA very kindly gave me here in Auckland. The little notes that I've taken on the, on Olympique Lyonnais, um, I probably could have just written one word, which is a mess. You know, they, they are a bit of a mess. I, th- I think, and again, again, it's a thing that I was saying a lot at the end of last season, that, that there's so many good things being done by other clubs that for Lyon just to stay still, they have to be doing really well. And they're not doing well at all. You know, the, 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 the way in which the power at that club has been passed from Jean-Michel Olas to John Texter has not gone the way that Olas would have wanted. And I think that, you know, his legacy deserved. I think that club is, is in a bit of a mess. And there are, I think, I think there's a lot of, I think when you read the French media, I think there's a lot of um, wariness about John Texter. And I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, the, the, the DNCG, which when you speak to people who don't follow French football, you know, passionately like we might or some of our listeners might, they just be like, what on earth is this thing? But essentially this, this, um, this I, I guess, semi-independent body, which kind of controls the finances of the clubs and says, right, you, you know, you're okay, you can stay in this league this season. You know, Sochaux, great French club who've been kicked out of the second division and possibly out of, out of the leagues altogether because their finances are not healthy enough. Well, Lyon, in their case, um, this DNCG, French Football Financial Watchdog, have decided that Lyon's finances are not healthy enough under John Texter, so they've imposed these controls on them, meaning they can't spend as much on transfers and wages as they wanted. John Texter, I think, just from reading in, in Le Keep, the Sports Daily in France, is basically suggestion that you know Jean-Michel Olas would have got away with the, the same thing, but because they're not sure about this guy, they're not letting him away with it. And all of this is leaving Lyon in a, in a bit of a bind. Despite the fact that they've not really lost any um, key players yet, I mean, I mean, Malo Gusto we knew was leaving. But the, the the question is that now, and again, it's another club where more changes will be made before the season begins. Castello Luqueba and Bradley Barcola are their two most um, bankable assets. I don't know if that's actually a word in in English, but it's a word that the French seem to use, right? Um, and and if they lose them and they can't replace them, then they've got a problem. I, th- I think I think. You know, they were seventh last season. I think we're seeing other teams steam, steam off into the distance. And I think for them, it's going to be a real struggle just to get into Europe. And that's where they have to be. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a hard season for them. 
Yeah, I think there was a, a, a 50 million euro hole, wasn't there, in, in Texter's budget or the Leon budget for the season. And they said it was going to come from the sale of O.L. Rain in in uh, in the NWSL in, in, in North America. Um, but I'm assuming that sale hasn't gone through yet either, if uh, they still haven't no. managed to stump up the cash. No, exactly. And of course, the club of Little Women's World Cup segment, the club of Megan Rapino, who... American star, yeah, she's been playing for OL Reign. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are insisting that this deal is going to happen, um, but it's not actually gone through yet. And the rules are very strict in France in terms of the finances, and we can debate in, in our football business podcast, which which apparently we're going to do sometime, about whether that's a good thing or not. But yeah, I mean, essentially, they are we're not... We're going to do that later to... tonight, Andy, for you in Auckland. <laughs> well, I mean, it's already, it's, already, it's, already, it's already very late at night, so no. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I think that Lyon have, have got an awful lot of problems. And, and just, to, just to come back to my notes again very quickly, they have signed Duya Chaleta Sar, who obviously is um, a player that Premier League fans um, will know from last season and League 1 fans will know from previous seasons at Marseille. So they'll be playing him with Dejan Lovren in an old Croatian uh, defence. But the other thing is that their form in pre-season has been rotten. The last four games, they've lost them all and they've not scored a goal. So... Um, you know, and I think they'll be relying a lot on Alexandre Lacazette to, to score the goals this season just to give them any chance of being anywhere near any European place. That's the way I see it right now. But again, things could change in, in a few weeks. I'm going to put this out here. How about if things are looking that rocky at Olympic Lyonnais, if they lose a couple of more players, the, the players that they see coming through, things could turn very toxic in the stands as well at Group Armour Stadium. Could we be looking at a at a Bordeaux Saint Etienne style style collapse from one of these giants of of the game, or is no. it not that bad? No, I, it's it's not that bad. I mean, I mean, maybe let the other guys speak on this, but for me, it's not that it's not that bad. I think I think they are, you know, they have really good players. I mean, I think Bordeaux and Saint Etienne when they went down a couple of seasons ago had mediocre players, you know, and they maybe should have been around about mid table. They went down, but Lyon Lyon underperformed last season. I just think that. You know, doing any better might be difficult, but they're not going to get relegated, even in an 18-team league. Okay, that's going down in the prediction book as well. <laughs> JJ, let's keep moving, because we've spoken about clubs that have had tumultuous off-seasons, or at least very uh, mouvementé, as the French would say, with lots of lots of movement. And, and now we're going to one where it's been a maybe unsettlingly calm. Monaco, what's going on in the, the Principauté? Yeah, this is an interesting one looking at Monaco because they're kind of in the same boat as Lyon where you'd actually, you know, kind of feel like it works in their favour this season getting back into Europe because they won't have the distraction of continental football during the campaign so they can concentrate on their domestic form. But sort of looking at some of the changes Monaco have made so far and, and recent developments coming into the new season, uh, you know, I you sort of err on the the side of caution uh, when trying to make too many uh, predictions. I mean, they've brought in the likes of Mohamed Salisu, Philip Kohn to, to be the new starting goalkeeper. Uh, Salisu, obviously the replacement for Axel Disazi, who's now joined Chelsea. Um, Adi Hutter and his coach is an interesting um, choice. We have seen, uh, you know, other tacticians come from Germany and do well in the past, uh, you know, notably... Uh, you know, Kovac when when he was in charge at Stade Louis de, 
But, uh, you know, with the news that Briel Mbolo uh, is suddenly injured, quite seriously injured in training and is going to be out for a number of months, uh, you know, that puts a lot of pressure already on this Monaco front line. Uh, you know, a lot of their transfer business, uh, you know, has kind of been up in the air at the moment. You've got this handover of power between Thiago Scuro, who's come in from uh, Red Bull's uh, Bragantino in uh, Brazil, uh, and Paul Mitchell, who'll be leaving at the end of the summer transfer window. So it's, it's difficult to sort of suggest with with, you know, that much sort of certainty, uh, you know, whether they're going to be one of the the candidates to get themselves back into to Champions League reckoning or if they might be falling short of Europe altogether. Once again, because the, the margin sort of in that area of the table, you know, are quite fine. We saw it again last season. And although I think that the scenario in terms of getting back into Europe should be quite favourable, similar to the way that we saw with Lille last season, it feels at the moment like there's, uh, you know, quite a few questions to be answered at Monaco and perhaps, uh, you know, greater need for, for widespread changes. Uh, you know, there's also sort of suggestions as well, uh, you know, that there could be some sort of off the field uh, issues that come into play with uh, with the likes of Wissam Ben Yedder as well. So it's difficult to feel too positive right now uh, about the situation uh, at Monaco. But that said, like Leon, they still remain a squad that has a lot of talent in it. Let's keep moving. We're going to look at one of the big surprises of last season. Just very quickly, Clermont. Um, they play in their little stadium with, you know, about 8,000 people there. It's got a, a, a French Cup, Coupe de France atmosphere when the big teams come. It's it's not exactly a hostile place to go, but there's something there's something tribal about what they were doing. And, and last season, they did a fantastic job with Pascal Gastien, their coach, and, and his son as captain of the side. For the most part, I think no news is good news. That eighth-place finish was, was pretty spectacular after a first-ever top-flight season the year before that. And they look like they're, they're basically going to try and do the same thing again. Not too many changes. They've, they've bolstered defence. Uh, with the arrivals of Maximiliano Coffrier, uh, the 26-year-old Belgian from Spartak Moscow. Andy Pelma um, has arrived from Basel. Um, Habib Keita, the 21-year-old the Malian from Olympic Lyonnais as well. And this is all a fair little outlet each time uh, for Coffrier, 3.5 million euros, 2 million for, for Pelma, 1.2 for Keita. So there's a bit of money going out. Right-winger Bilal Bitoba as well has arrived from Nior after a, a difficult season for Nior in the second division. So they have options. Perhaps the biggest question is where the goals are going to come from. And in the second half of the season, they came from Grejean Kier, um, who scored 10 in the end and four assists. And when he was directly involved in a goal as well, they, they never lost. So perhaps that good luck charm will be part of it. But I think uh, overall, we'd be hard-pressed to expect Claremont to reproduce the kind, of, the kind of heroics that saw them finish eighth last year. However. We are here for Nostradamus predictions. I'm going to predict not relegated, but bottom half of the table for Clermont. So moving right along with Le Beaujeu, we have the chance for you at home listening to win a Ligue 1 jersey once a month. And to do that, you have to answer our very difficult, generally, Deja Who quiz, where we uh, pick out a former player, a current player, um, someone that has to have played in Ligue 1, although I think one time I did manage to even find a player that never actually played a match in Ligue 1 for our Deja Who quiz. That was a couple of years ago. And a few people still got it. So the idea is I read out a series of clues. If you know who it is, 
you send us an email to league1podcast at gmail.com with your answer. And, of course, that email address is open if you have any questions, if you want us to talk about a player, if you have uh, any questions about French football that you'd like answered or an idea for the, the Andreas's history section. Um, get involved with the conversation on the email as well. But for your chance to win a League 1 jersey, you have to answer this question and, again, the one in two weeks' time. So who am I? I'm a silky-skilled, ambidextrous forward who made my top-flight debut at just 17 years of age. I played for two clubs in my homeland before making the move to France, still as a young man. For a time, everything I touched turned to gold. I claimed a host of titles, including football's biggest prize, before game time dipped and a lone move took me out of France heading west. Who am I and what incredible beginner's luck record did I set during my time in France? Okay, so that's a tough one. Maybe I should also add that I also won every trophy in France, in French football as well. League Cup, Coupe de France, Ligue 1 and Trophée des Champions. So there you go. If you know who the player is we're talking about, send us an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Okay, part three now. The next four clubs in our club-by-club preview of the Ligue 1 Uber Eats 2023-24 season. And we're going to head back to Jonathan Johnson, who's joining us and sharing us with all his expertise to talk about OGC Nice, JJ. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how Nice look in the opening games of this season because I think it's a, a fascinating managerial appointment bringing in uh, the very highly rated young Italian Francesco Farioli. Uh, you know, obviously Didier Digar had um, a great spell uh, last season but ultimately wasn't chosen to continue at the head of the team. So that's definitely one to watch in terms of the head coaches in the league this season. But their transfer dealings are, have been quite curious so far because many expected the likes of Kefren Turam, uh, Jean-Claire Todibo, as well to move on for the moment they remain uh, at Allianz Riviera uh, you've got uh, the likes of Calvin Stengs Andy Delors and Casper um, Dolberg who have been moved on but you've also got Jeremy Boga and uh, Morgan Sanson who was on loan uh, for the second half of last season from my Aston Villa uh, with uh, Strasbourg uh, you know who have come in so it's a bit of a, a mixed bag and you look at the squad, I mean, if they can keep that entire squad together, which might be difficult in the final few weeks of the transfer window, especially with the likes of Atoram or, or Todibo, but if they can, for the most part, keep that group together, it's a squad that should have done much better than it did last season. Uh, and I'd be confident that uh, under uh, you know new management, they should fare a lot better. So for me, I'd, I'd be expecting Nice to get themselves back into the reckoning for continental qualification this season. It's been a club that's had a few growing pains under uh, the Ineos ownership and uh, the Ineos sporting group or sporting empire that uh, doesn't quite yet have the Midas touch when it comes to football. Another small club that punched above its weight for a large part of last season, Baptiste, was FC Lorient. But as we've seen, changes there. And sometimes you get the feeling that last season, that first six months where everything was so perfect, the coach has gone, one of their star players has gone in, in Enzo Lefebvre as well. What can we expect from Lorient? 
I think a more difficult season than last, uh, it's fair to say, although they had planned on key players leaving. Enzo Lefe has gone to Rennes in the summer. Terre Mofi obviously had, had left initially on loan, but it was confirmed as a sale. That was expected. Uh, I, I think they're just keeping the same spine to the team. And the big story for them this summer was around Régis Lebris, their manager, as to whether he would be given all the powers at the club. And he had a bit of a fight for influence with his chairman, which was quite inter- interesting. But he ended up being the winner out of that. And he seems to be building the team that he likes, which is young, fast-paced, exciting, ready to take on risks. And I think there's a lot to like uh, about Lorient. They have lost a little bit of quality with those players and Dango Wataha as well in in January. So we'll see how they'll replace them. But youth development is a big thing for Régis Lebris. That's where he made his money in the past before becoming a first-team manager. And so I think there's... They will be in the bottom half, but I think they will stay relatively clear of trouble. Andy, another of the the great stories last season was Reims, who looked in all sorts of trouble. They had that that terrible start to the season with the coaching change, but then Will still came in and uh, everything he touched literally did turn to gold as well. It was quite incredible for the football manager, the young man. Um, And France, we call it the League of Talents for, for uncovering young players it's starting to uncover a few young coaches as well coming through the ranks quite quite remarkable but Reims last season can they repeat the dose yeah and and what's interesting about Reims but Will Still is that he's brought his, his little brother um Nicholas Still um along with him for the ride this season as an assistant coach and I believe that Nicholas Still is only 26 which is um which is not bad so I mean and he's being groomed for the main job, most he's certainly possibly, as well. Possibly being groomed, and and yeah, exactly. Possibly being groomed for the main job, but I think that obviously the big question at Rance is how you replace Fularen Balogun, who scored twenty-one of their forty-five goals in the league last season. So that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of goals to replace there. Um, still did a brilliant job finishing in in mid-table with with Rance. They have they've they've had a habit in recent years of replacing strikers who've done well for them. You know, Bull Idea was a top scorer, they sell him, they get on fine, they have Ugo Ekitike, he's the top scorer, they sell him, um, and then Balogun, and, and they have made some interesting, you know, signings in the striking department, the young lad, uh, Diakite, who's coming from, from Salzburg, and one to look out for, Adama Bojang, who, who's a Gambian youth international, who Gambia actually have a very good um, under-20 team, and he's been a part of that, and um, these guys could, you know, could, I mean, you can't expect them to do well this season, but they might have big future. So I think they're, they're, they're a club who have really interesting recruitment. Will still might not be there forever because he's doing a fine job, but I think they'll be just fine this season. I think it was Rance who was reading about where somebody said that, you know, that the target is the top 10 this season. But of course, the top 10 is no longer a thing because, you know, ultimately it's the top nine that you're trying to finish in. But I, th- I think that Rance, you know, will be more or less mid-table with, with, with the solid foundations um, that they that they have in place in in previous seasons. All right. Before we talk about Montpellier, I'm going to give Andy a breather because he's got Montpellier in the. That's in fine. The, uh, we'll carry on. Picking out of a hat. You want to keep going straight through? Yeah. I mean, as 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 you say, you know, it's nearly it's it's nearly breakfast time in Auckland. So, um, but I mean, listen, <laughs> Montpellier were just behind um, Rance in the table last season, and you know they. they they were a really entertaining team. There's only five teams scored more goals than them and only four teams conceded more goals than them. Um, Elie Wives is a big part of that. Now, they've not sold him yet, but he will probably leave 
in in the next few weeks. I think they want him to leave, and they want about thirty million euros for him, and they they want to reinvest that not just in players but in other things around the club. But uh, they seem to be quite happy that with the with the team they have in place, which maybe kind of surprises me a little bit. I mean, you know, Montpellier have stubbornly been a solid league and team really ever since they won the league a decade ago. There was a wobble last season. They sorted that out in the second half of the campaign. But it's a smaller league. It's a competitive league. Um I wouldn't be wouldn't be all that optimistic about their chances, but I'm not saying I expect them to go down. But I don't expect them to be featuring in in, in the top half necessarily. All right, now I get my chance to talk about Toulouse because this uh data driven model that worked, uh, I guess you'd say it worked very well in the end. It saw them promoted into the top flight. They won the cup last year and they played some really entertaining football as well, even if it took a little while to get going in the top flight under Philippe Montagnier. Um, the big story out of Toulouse is that they've lost Branko van den Boomen, Stein Spierings, Brecht de Jager. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Ross Healy, Ratau. You're like Steve Maxi- McLaren in that, in that famous video, Steve <laughs> McLaren, when he was the 20 Enskida coach. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't um, who was at Marseille, uh, Joey Barton, do a, do a press conference with a, with a French accent as well, speaking English. Yeah, very good. Maxime Dupé is also, so anyway, a, a host of these players have moved on, most of them Dutch, but that was understandable because they were the stars of the show for, for Toulouse. Now, interestingly, they've brought in a Dutchman, Ibrahim Sissoko, 20 years of age, a German, Niklas Schmidt from, from Werder Bremen, a Frenchman, a Venezuelan, Christian Caceres Jr. from New York Red Bulls, all of these for, for million euro signings, Cesar Gelaber from, from Spain, a 22-year-old who was playing in the Spanish second division. Importantly, there's no more Philippe Montagnier either. They've brought in a 36-year-old coach, Carles Martinez Novel, Barcelona-born. They brought him in in December last year. He was head of methodology at TFC for the second half of last season. So I guess he, well, I suspect they knew that he was going to be taking over at the end of the season. But it's a, it's a young coach. He's never coached a senior side before. He's got youth experience at Espanyol, at La Masia, at Barcelona even at Al-Rayan in Qatar as well, where we just spoke about where Laurent Blanc had a, a little spell. Kuwaiti under-20 side, but never first-team football, never senior players as well. And for me, that's the big question, Mark. We know that they've brought these players from all over the world, that they've, they've, they find players in second divisions, in obscure leagues, bring them in and get them to work. They've got a young coach who, who's cut his teeth in youth football. The big question is now, can Toulouse back up after the fans enjoyed that, that trophy last season in the Coupe de France. Can they do it again? I think for me, that's, uh, that's the big question. I'm not convinced that, uh, that they'll be able to do it. Or perhaps the big question is, how long will it take for the mayonnaise to prenne, as the French would say? And uh, perhaps a great, great opportunity to say, I'm also going to be giving a little French lesson to all our podcast listeners in the future by taking out a, a bit of football terminology like it depends how long the mayonnaise will take uh, to take, if you like. Um, and I'll be explaining all of these throughout the season as well. So that's it for Toulouse. It's a question of mayonnaise. And now we head to Brest, Baptiste. Not much to report at Brest. It's pretty much the same same club, same side. They've lost a big asset in Franco Nora, who was close to double figures over the last two seasons and was 
a goal scorer and a creator for them from the wing. Uh, but otherwise, Eric Croix is pretty much managing the same side. And that, I think that's testament to the fact that uh, Prez don't have a lot of financial power at their disposal. They're not the most uh, visible or attractive side in the division uh, because of their relatively recent history. And I think their target is basically to finish 15th or above, is to take the Giru saying their target is to avoid relegation every year. So I think they are decently armed for it if continuity works in their favor, but there still remains a lack of quality for me. And I think they're in real danger of being dragged towards the bottom uh, this year. And one player I do like there is uh, Jérémy Ledouaron. He's a good story. Scored in double figures last year. Quite imposing uh, target man and only discovered professional football a couple of years ago. So that's definitely one to look out for and one who might help them stay clear of relegation. But um, genuine concerns, I think, for for Brest as the season approaches. Did I did I see they have a new stadium on the way or something being planned as well? I saw some uh, pictures that looked pretty spectacular. They wouldn't want to be doing a Le Mans on us and and build a brand new stadium and then get relegated and then uh, find themselves with a with an albatross around their necks. Let's keep going. Strasbourg, JJ, the the famous Strasbourg. What are they doing down here? This low in our preview. I thought they were meant to be up in up in the top four. Well, the reason they're all the way down here is because Angus Tarode infamously predicted that they'd be in Champions League contention and they flirted with relegation so long that they just about survived by the skin of their teeth. Unfortunately, Frederic Antonetti, who did such a fantastic rescue job as uh, Ligan's fireman of choice, sort of the Sam Allardyce of Ligan, if you will, uh, kept them up uh, and then they rewarded him with a takeover, which has seen Patrick Vieira come in uh, as Bluco. So Bluco as in the same group that owns Chelsea in the Premier League, uh, has now come in uh, and will be overseeing uh, a project alongside that of Chelsea's, which could see some crossover. We haven't actually seen any sort of direct loan movement for the moment, but there are believed to be a couple in the offing. Uh, and... You've got some interesting names suddenly coming in. Those who have gone, uh, familiar perhaps to some listeners, Alex Jiku, uh, he moved on on a free transfer. Dimitri Leonard as well, one of my personal favorite stories in Ligue 1 over the past sort of five years or so. He's also been moved on, now playing his trade in Ligue 2 with Bastia. Uh, but you've suddenly got uh, the likes of Abakar Silla and Emmanuel Omega coming in. Uh, and it's a massive change of situation for Strasbourg. The internal workings will remain uh, pretty much unchanged for the moment. Mark Keller still at the uh, at the head of the, the project, same recruitment department and everything, but suddenly a much bigger budget, which enables Strasbourg to be a little more competitive, or at least in theory. So you do still have the, uh, the, the, the likes of Ismail Ducore as well, highly rated young defender there's a number of uh, potential talents who have been lined up you've got uh, a possibility as well of one or two Chelsea loanees before the end of the transfer window Ugo Chokwu as well uh, who signed from Rennes uh, could also find himself coming back to Ligue 1 so very difficult to imagine Strasbourg struggling against from uh, against relegation as they did last season but equally I'm not sure I'd go as far as Angus Tarot did just yet and predict that they're going to make a run to the Champions League. I think it's going to be interesting to see what form this project takes, especially once a couple of players do start moving over from Chelsea. But for the moment, uh, it looks a lot more optimistic, at least on paper, uh, the situation in Alsace than it did last season. 
Earlier in the podcast, Andy called Paris Saint-Germain the gift that just keeps on giving for, for everyone except their, their, their supporters. Baptiste is not a little bit in that, uh, in that <laughs> realm for, for football journalists and for the, the content makers because, I mean, Nantes is never far from a crisis. Even when they go all the way to the cup final, they manage to, to find crisis out of, out of, out of that. What, what's happening for the Canaries? Not much really, this summer. Uh, they've lost Ludovic Blas, who is by far their best player over the last two seasons, and they've recruited pretty much no one. And they've uh, handed the keys to the team to Pierre Aristoui, who did save them towards the end of the last season, but for whom it's the, it will be the first role as a full-time manager in a top flight. There's loads of reasons to be uh, worried for Nantes. I'm, I'm definitely very pessimistic about their chances. Uh, they lack quality in, in the side. Um, as you said, when you've got the owner who loves a little bit of chaos and his son being the main football decision maker at the club and enthralled with certain uh, unsavory agents, then that's a recipe for disaster. I think they just evaded it last year. I'm struggling to see how they're going to escape this year. Uh, I don't think they're in a positive dynamic at all. And uh, ultimately, their starting 11 doesn't um, fill me with confidence. So. I've actually got them as a bit of a reg relegation certainty uh, out of the three relegation sides. I think they'll, there's a good chance they'll end up in the bottom three, if not bottom. Well, that will be more of the, uh, perhaps not Olympic Lyonnais, than FC Nantes as the uh, side that could follow in the footsteps of the, the fallen giants, Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne then. That's it for the 16 sides that uh, were in Ligue 1 last season. Two have joined them as four went down. FC Metz and Luave, two uh, names with plenty of Ligue 1 experience in the past. And the FC Metz are the side we've seen most recently in the top flight. They're back. What can we expect from them? Well, you know something? In I, I, I went to the, the trouble of, of totting this up. In the last 18 uh, seasons, they have either been promoted or relegated in 12 of them. Um, so, you know, what we can probably expect from Metz... It's the definition be, of a yo-yo club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and inclu including one relegation to the third division um, when I think they had Sadio Mane in their squad and then one promotion straight back to the second division. Um, so I think what we can expect from them is that they'll get relegated, I'd imagine. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's just the reality. I mean, they've, they have... They have the outstanding player in the second division last season in Georges Mikhail Tadze. Um, he was a top scorer and, and the best player. But they're probably going to sell him. They want about 20 million for him. They've not got it yet, but you know they're probably going to sell him in the next few weeks. Um, and let's see how they can reinvest that money. I mean, I, they are bound to struggle. The coach is Laszlo Bologna, who is um, the grand old man of, of, of French coaching now. He's about 70. He played in the Stoya Bucharest team that won the European Cup in 1986. Um, and he's, he's been manager of various different French teams over the last two decades. He's still going. So um, it'll be interesting, but they will struggle. It doesn't sound good for FC Metz. I'm sure the people at the Stade Saint-Symphorien won't be liking to hear this. Andy, it's... Uh... It's one of those sliding door moments. Perhaps if in 1998 they'd won the league instead of losing it on goal difference, we'd, it'd all be a different story for, for FC Metz. JJ, Luave, the other side, another famous side. Are they the oldest French footballing side of all? Are they the oldest founded sporting side in France? I think they might be. I think they claim to be. Is that going to save them? 
<laughs> is that going to no, help? No, I, I, I think they claim to be. I think there's actually a dispute. I think it's the oldest sporting group in France, but there's some debate as to whether the group was originally playing rugby or football, but they're generally considered to be the oldest footballing club in France. That's correct. And it's, it's fantastic to have them back in Ligue 1 as well because Lave, sort of in more modern terms, obviously, uh, you know, known as a, a giant in the French game of youth production, having brought through some phenomenal talent uh, over the years. Uh, so great to have them back in the top flight. And it's actually shaping up to be a really intriguing season. I mean, especially when you bear in mind as well, uh, you, you, you've you got the relegation uh, playoffs coming in. So should, uh, you know, Love be, be targeting something, perhaps they should be targeting that or, or better because, they have this interesting project that's being overseen by Mathieu Bobmer, of course, former PSG, uh, Lyon and Lille, uh, among others, uh, midfielder, fantastic player in his day. He's now turned out to be a dab hand at being a sporting director as well. Uh, and he's working to quite a tight budget so far this summer, but a couple of the players that have been brought in uh, will be familiar to, to French football fans. You've got Loïc Nego, who's coming back after many years away in Hungary, where he's actually a, a naturalized uh, Hungarian international. Uh, you've got Johan Selmier as well, uh, formerly of Troyes and uh, Strasbourg. And you've got Rasul and Dayi as well. So Love raiding Sosho, uh, who've had a very, very difficult summer, which could get even worse uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to to see exactly how it's going to play out for Love because they were quite solid at times in League 2. You wouldn't say that there's necessarily any sort of outstanding talents. Obviously, Amar Richardson as well, going back to house, he was loaned out to them last season, having uh, moved permanently last summer. So there's, I, I think anything above the relegation playoffs would be quite an achievement for, for this uh, hack side as they uh, return to top flight action. Mathieu Bodmer, the uh, the former PSG man, as you say, Lille and Lyon as well. He's, his goalkeeping coach is Nicolas Duches, um, who was also his teammate at PSG. And I think it's only a matter of time before they bring in someone like Clément Chantom. And then you're really going to have that era of Paris Saint-Germain just as it it, it hurtled into, into the Qatari era. And these guys sort of struggle to, to go with the, the new style. They are their old school. Young men, old school French footballers, the, these Duches, Bodmer types. So it will be interesting to see to see how they go. All right. Well, now it's time for our bold predictions. We're going to go through it very quickly. I think we'll go through it each uh, each person very quickly. Just one word answers. So, Baptiste, who do you think is going to win the league this season? Now, everything on the line. Go. PSG. Andy. I mean, yeah, PSG. JJ. PSG. Okay, so there's no big surprise then coming. It's going to be Paris Saint-Germain taking out the title at record 12. The golden boot might be a little bit uh, more debatable then. What do we think? Especially if Kylian Mbappe is cooling his boots in the loft, as the French would say, in the uh, just training and not playing. It would be a remarkable situation. Can it really happen? What's the golden boot? Kylian Mbappe, gents? Baptiste? I'm going to go left field. I'm going to go Amin Guiri. That is left field. Very left. That's prediction time. I like it. <laughs> Andy, match that. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if, if Mbappé, I mean, if Mbappé stays Mbappé, um, if Mbappé leaves, then, and I'm aware that this is in, in, the, in, in the same category as Angus tipping Strasbourg to finish in, in the top three, but Aubameyang could be terrible. 
he could be really, really good. So, you know, let's just see Aubameyang. Aubameyang. JJ, golden boot. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, assuming that we're doing it based on Kylian Mbappe leaving, uh, it looks very likely that PSG's new number nine will be Gonzalo Ramos from Benfica, very prolific. So I'd be tempted to back him, assuming that that deal goes through. Are they going to get Randall, Colomwani? Are the latest rumours that I think that it's be... one of the names that have been thrown out there? But uh, you know, you know what it's like during these crazy summers at PSG. They get linked with a number of different names, but it seems like Gonzalo Ramos is extremely close to actually happening at the time of recording. Absolutely. Well, I think you know Alexander Lacazette could be a could be a chance as well at that uh, at that Golden Boot. Leon will need Relegation. a lot of penalties. Shouldn't be an issue for them. Leon, Leon, always they're the exactly they're the penalty specialists. Relegation, we've already said it. Luav and Mess coming up. It's three going down again. No, two plus one. Two okay, down, two one, plus one. one so two. Off. Yeah, so back to the the old style. So what do we expect, gentlemen? The two to go down automatically. Nantes and Mess. I yep. think that sounds a pretty fair. Are uh, getting nods all around, mm-hmm. Andy? Anything to change that? You're not going to be tempted to throw in Olympic Lyonnais? No, 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 no. I, I agree with Batista. <laughs> I'm going to go slightly different. I'm going to go Nantes and Brest. Okay, yeah, I think a, I think a Brest. Uh, I think one of these sides, maybe a Claremont, could come unstuck. I think uh, there's, there's, you know. I, I like the idea of Luave staying up and having a little four years of nondescript football in the top flight before disappearing again for another decade. I can see them staying up. So our big surprise of the season, who is going to be the surprise player, the surprise coach, the surprise club? We always have one that uh, come December and the champion d'automne are always uh, surprising everyone. It could be in the goal-scoring charts. It could be a, a revelation forcing their way into the France national team. Baptiste? surprises surprise me i'm i'm going to go for a club i'm going to go for lyon i think they're going to surprise either the, for the best or the worst of reasons so they could finish anywhere between 3rd and 15th and i wouldn't be well and so <laughs> i think <laughs> slip of the tongue but i think um yeah they'll they'll be an interesting side to follow they'll be chaos andy your surprise packet um well i think for a player i think I'm not going to name a name, but I think there will be somebody at Rance who will emerge and will will be, you know, we'll look back on and say that this person broke through this season. I think in terms of a club, I do wonder if it could be Nice. I think either Nice could be pretty good or terrible. And um, and I'm not sure which, but I think that, you know, that might, might surprise us or not. But I, I don't know. I have no idea what to make of them. And I think there's going to be one relatively big team that's a bit crap that we might not expect and maybe that'll be them but then again Francesco Farioli could be really good we just don't know <laughs> JJ yeah I'm tempted to to get in the same boat as Baptiste so I guess I'm going to develop on that idea of Lyon being very unpredictable and stick my neck out and say that I think that Laurent Blanc will be the first coach to go uh, he's already been sort of talking it tiptoeing in and around that topic at the end of what's been a very difficult preseason. I wouldn't be stunned um, if he ends up getting the chop very early. To be honest, I'm surprised it didn't happen over the summer. But in terms of a revelation, 
I'm re- I don't know why I'm s so, I feel so optimistic about this Indai move to, to Marseille, but I really feel it could be a, a an explosive season for, for him. So I think it's it's great to see him go back to Stad Velodrome. Uh you know, there there was a fantastic unveiling video as well, which I think is probably a contender for the, the best uh social media stunt of the summer so far from a League One club. And it just feels like a very, very good fit. Maybe too good a fit, but uh I, I really think this one's going to work out. Could the big surprise be Mbappe at Paris Saint-Germain? And of course, I'm talking about Ethan Mbappe, not uh, not Kiki. We saw a 16-year-old last season break in uh, to the Paris Saint-Germain first team. Could uh, one Mbappe's woes be another Mbappe's gains? It's true, JJ. They do have Noah Lamina there as well, another, another famous name, more linked with Marseille or FC Lorient. Than, uh, than, than Paris Saint-Germain, but the young Lamina is there as well. And perhaps under Luis Enrique, this could finally be the season for the Paris Saint-Germain kids to, uh, to get their chance and show what they can do. The big surprise, of course, would be Kylian Mbappe re-signing a new 10-year deal with Paris Saint-Germain worth a billion euros in salary and sign-on fees and stay till he was 34 and be top scorer Every year along the way, we'll have to wait and see. Let's look ahead then very quickly to the first two matches of the two rounds of the season. It all kicks off this weekend. Nice versus Lille. Paris Saint-Germain are reunited with FC Lorient, the first side they ever played under Qatari ownership. Um, Marseille take on Reims this weekend. Plenty of big matches in round two. Toulouse entertain Paris Saint-Germain. Lyon host Montpellier and Reims take on Rennes. So second be fourth from last season there in week two. It's a gentle start to the season, gentlemen. Baptiste, do you expect any big surprises in this this first two weeks or it's a good chance? There's no Trophée des Champions, of course, for the moment anyway, this season. So no first trophy yet. So sides just gently putting their feet in the water to get started this year. I'm always intrigued by Lorient coming to the Parc des Princes in, in August, historically, they've been their bogey team, and uh, that's uh, that's always a fun a fun game. And obviously, Regis Lebris has done a good job, so so we'll we'll get we'll get a first sight of whether the Mbappe story is impacting um, PSG. And no doubt that if they draw, lose that game, it will get uh, even more uh, blown up. So uh, I think that's the one I'm keeping an eye on. Andy, you talked about Champions League qualifiers and the effect they can have as well. Can we draw too much from these opening weeks of the season? Um, what you mean in, ter- in terms of in 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 terms of the moving impact. forward? What? Do you, yeah, yeah. And sides that are going to hit the ground running. I'd, I'd, in a way, in a way, yeah. But ultimately, no, because I mean, look at the impact in the last couple of years for Monaco of. of playing these qualifiers, dropping points in the first few weeks and then playing catch-up. I mean, what is going to be interesting in terms of the league season is we're seeing all these things about teams competing with PSG. You know, if ultimately, if PSG win their first three or four games, is anybody else going to be able to do the same thing? Or are PSG going to be ahead of the pack already, you know, by the end of August, beginning of September? So, you know, that will be interesting. Um, and... You know, I mentioned Marseille as possible champions. Well, you know, they've got first game of the season, which on paper you'd expect them to win against Rance. But given everything we've been saying about Champions League qualifiers, but what Rance have been doing, maybe they'll drop points in that. So, 
you know, of course, things change over the course of a season, but it, it is going to be interesting right from the off, without question. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Marseille mess, second week two. That's it. Hit that cliched nail right on the head. JJ, what do you expect from the opening weeks of the season? Paris Saint-Germain fast out of the blocks? Yeah, I mean, it would be difficult to be faster out of the blocks than they were last season because famously PSG hit top spot on day one and didn't relinquish that position at all. But the thing that I guess I would sort of add uh, onto this sort of idea of the first few weeks factoring into the season is not actually the opening two games for PSG against Lorient and Toulouse, which with all due respect to both are fairly straightforward fixtures, it's actually the games that come just after that. Because if you look in PSG's first eight games, they have Lens at home as their third game. They go to Lyon away for the fourth. They're at home to Nice uh, for the fifth. They're at home to Marseille for the sixth. And they're away at Rennes for the eighth. That's already some very, very big games, uh, you know, very early in the season. And if Luis Enrique and his PSG side are still trying to find their feet and the Mbappe situation really does drag on for at least sort of the first, uh, you know, three or four of those, you know, PSG could become you know could come unstuck quite quickly and lose a bit of ground to somebody at the top of the table but that's assuming that sort of the the expected title rivals for this coming season uh, are able to you know to to rack up some points very quickly well i'm sure i'm not the happiest to say that that's it for our opening episode because that mantle goes to andy scott who is in the early hours of the morning in New Zealand covering the FIFA Women's World Cup for AFP, and he's done very well to stay up so late in the middle of the round of 16. Don't forget to follow us to get involved in the conversation. We're on Twitter at League underscore ENG. There's League1.com, of course, where you can find the podcast and all the latest videos and articles about the French top flight. We are official like us, follow, subscribe, and recommend on all your podcast platforms. Le Beaujeu will be back in two weeks' time with our all-new regular season format, which includes a look back at the first two rounds and a look ahead to, amongst other things, as JJ just said, PSG versus Lens. We have the debut of Professor Andreas's History Corner. He's taking a look back at that legendary Lens team that won the league in 1998. We're also introducing our new tactical analysis for all you budding coaches to get your heads around the how and why of Ligue 1 and to help you out with the who. Well, throughout the season, we're going to be profiling standout players. The next big thing as the League of Talent continues to unearth the stars of tomorrow. So until then, on behalf of the whole Le Bourgeois team, from myself, Robbie Thompson, Andy Scott, Baptiste Reynaud and Jonathan Johnson, we wish you all bon match and, of course, bon appétit. Au revoir. Delivery again. Doozy's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Kyle Kakuta. Play it again. The Marseille have the point.